you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant. Masking and socially distancing when and where necessary and... But we keep rolling along. We're getting closer and closer to the start of the NFL season. We've got guys in pads making plays. We have breathless Twitter uh, reports of what is going on at training camps around the country. So it is beginning to feel a lot like football. So to that end, we will keep going with our positional previews. We will talk some running backs. I'll introduce my guest who's going to help me in just a little bit. But before we do that... Let's talk to our faithful producer, Senior Edward L. Murphy, Esquire. Murph, on Tuesday, I know you were sweltering in your apartment. Please tell me things have gotten a little bit better for you. Uh, well, as you could see, uh, for those watching, me wearing a tank top and a headband. No, it has not gotten better. Actually, it's gotten worse. <laughs> There's been a leak in my second bedroom where my roommate lives. So that carpets up all his stuff's in the living room. That's why I'm recording this Thursday show in uh, my bedroom now. So it's a, a total mess. But uh, not all things are bad. My draft board for my main league has shipped to my house, and I am full-blown uh, fantasy draft mode. So I am very excited about that. It's almost here. Yeah, silver linings, right? I mean, look, if, if you yes. have to be uncomfortable in your apartment, at least you can draft in your own apartment. So, you know. There's, yeah, I'm um, prepped. That gets my mind off the heat. Exactly. Okay, fantastic. Awesome. Um, well, let us shift our gears now to talk about some running backs. And to help me do that, I'm going to bring in a familiar face. And a guy that we're hoping to have weekly on this podcast now that he is back, question mark, with us uh, on a regular basis again it is Michael Florio. Florio. Always glad to have you on the show, and uh, I guess a preemptive welcome back. I know that the things are not official official, but they're official enough for me to say welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Always always love coming on the show with you, Marcus. So thank you for welcoming me back. I'm excited to be back, and I feel Eddie's pain because it's been really hot here in L.A., and in the afternoon, even with my air conditioner on, my apartment is way too hot. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was saying earlier this week, this is that weird time of year in L.A. or in California in general where it gets so hot that the public utilities tell you to turn off your air conditioning, which is the <laughs> most backward logic ever. But uh, this is the world that we live in. Uh, anyway, let's start off by doing a little bit of news. Got a few headlines here worthy to talk about. The first one, Bill Belichick says it is possible that the Patriots start the season with a quarterback platoon. I mean, there have been reports that you've got Jared Stidham and Cam Newton and even Brian Hoyer sort of rotating there at Patriots camp. Does this mean, Mike, that maybe we should back off this idea of Cam Newton as a late-round flyer in fantasy leagues? I don't think so. I think this is a lot of coach speak from Belichick. Like, first of all, he included Brian Hoyer in that mix. I think right there, we could throw Brian Hoyer away. Like, we know who he is at this point in his career. We've seen plenty of Brian Hoyer. He hasn't really looked that great the last couple of times he's been sprung into action. And I saw today on Twitter that Jared Stidham has thrown his seventh interception at practice. And if there's one thing that Bill Belichick doesn't deal with, it's turnovers. In fact, we saw last year he brought in Jared Stidham 
in a blowout. He throws a pick six, and then Brady's back out there the next series. So <laughs> Belichick is not going to put up with that lightly. If there is a platoon here, it means something is wrong with Cam Newton, in my opinion, because if Cam is anywhere close to what he was before the injuries, he is clearly the best option. And I think his ceiling in fantasy, if he can get back to that rushing ability, like his ceiling is really high in fantasy, I think, as well. Yeah, no, I have been big on taking Cam Newton, especially because of where he's available in drafts. The risk is next to nothing. And we know what he can be when he's completely healthy. We're talking about a guy who uh, at his peak was a top three fantasy quarterback. And even if he's not that guy, even if he's just a portion of that guy and he can get you know into the top 12, maybe top 10, uh, you're, you're going to look like a genius for taking that shot at him. Uh, pretty much at the end of your drafts. Uh, staying in the division, down in Miami, Ryan Fitzpatrick is reportedly expected to win the Dolphins' quarterback job over Tua Tagovailoa. I mean, for me, it makes perfect sense, Mike, because why wouldn't you start the guy who was your leading rusher last year? Um, for you, does this change anything with how you view the Dolphins' offense fantasy-wise? Yeah, forget Cam. Ryan Fitzpatrick is the running quarterback that we want here. Oh, does it? No, I think to me this was the expected move. Uh, Tua, we know he's dealing with that hip injury, and I think if you're the Dolphins, you're viewing it as why rush him? They're not really looking. I, I don't think they're expecting to compete and like win the division or anything like that. I think they are doing a good job of getting a lot of young talent in for the future. So because of that, I think they will bring Tua along slowly. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Tua starting in, you know, maybe late November or December or something like that. But I think early on, especially in 2020 with the rookies, you know, being a little bit behind, no preseason, just going on training camp. So I think it makes sense to start Fitzpatrick. And I think for fantasy, this is the move I'm excited for because we saw Devontae Parker really take off with Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know Fitzy is not afraid to, to sling the ball. He's going to air it out. So I think for fantasy, this elevates the Dolphins' floors because with Tua, it's just so much of an unknown. At least we know with Fitzpatrick, and we know Fitzpatrick is not going to be afraid to throw that ball. Uh, side note, does it make you nervous that everybody's saying the Bills potentially are the best team in the AFC East right now? Very much so. Because, I mean, <laughs> what can go right then? You know, like, it's it, last year they came kind of a little bit out of nowhere and surprised a lot of people. It was fun. Now you put expectations on them, afraid, like, it'll what happened to the Browns last year or something like that. Because, you know this, Marcus, things always go wrong for the teams I like, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, that is unfortunate. Um, turning to some running back news. On Tuesday, actually earlier this week, I was just sort of proclaiming that I have now become all in on Miles Sanders because Doug Peterson says that he is the guy. Uh, and then immediately, pretty much after I say that, reports come that he has a lower body injury. Uh, I know the Eagles aren't worried about it. Are you worried about it at all? So first, are you to blame for this? I think I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I'm a little sad with you, Marcus, because I'm I'm with you. I'm all in on Miles Sanders. I think he is going to be an RB1 this year. Uh, and, and does this worry me? Not yet, because all the reports are he's going to be healthy to go week one. That's the expectation right now. So it, it, this is something that I think we have to monitor. If next week we're still hearing week to week and is He's a little bit up in the air. Then I'll start to get a little bit more scared. But we still have a few weeks right now before week one. And I, I love hearing that he is going to be the bell cow there. I think we saw that last year when Jordan Howard went down. And I think Doug Peterson finally found the RB he can trust. And I'm with you, Marcus. I really like Miles Sanders this season. Adam Rank pointed out that this is very, a very hockey-esque injury designation, just to say lower body. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, this literally could be anything from, you know, a pulled hamstring to like he stubbed his toe getting out of bed in the morning. 
uh, there's a wide range of outcomes uh, with this lower body injury. Uh, last bit of news. Hopefully it's not Arizona. like hockey. Yeah, hopefully not, right? Hopefully not. <laughs> uh, last bit of news. Down in Arizona, Cliff Kingsbury has said, we feel like Chase Edmonds is a starting running back. I have been waving the flag for Kenyon Drake all offseason long. So because I am biased here, I'm saying this is coach speak and that they're just trying to pump up Chase Edmonds. Uh, is this coach speak or is there really something to be concerned about if you're targeting Edmonds or targeting Drake in drafts? I think it's a little bit of each, like, because I'm with you, Marcus. I really like Kenyon Drake. He's in my top 10 running backs in my rankings. Uh, I have no problem taking him late in the first round. But I also really do think Chase Edmonds is one of the better backups in football. In fact, in recent years, there's been kind of a movement in fantasy football to not draft your handcuffs because you're drafting more for the floor then. But I do think there's a handful of backups, and Chase Edmonds is one of them, Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray, a couple of others, that I think if anything happens to the starter, those guys are instantly RB2s, maybe even RB1s. And the thing that I like so much about the Cardinals offense is last year, it didn't matter which of the three running backs it was. Uh, for the first six weeks, it was David Johnson. Then there was that stretch in the middle of the year uh, where it was Chase Edmonds before he got hurt, and then Kenyon Drake took over. They, were, they performed like RB1s each and every week, no matter who it was there. And the starter dominated the snaps for the Cardinals. So I, I do trust Kenyon Drake, but I do think Chase Edmonds is one of the backups that you want to kind of emphasize and get if you draft Kenyon Drake. Yeah, I, th I do think that is going to be important. And I, I keep saying it, especially in this COVID year, not knowing how things are going to play out, finding those guys who not only have you know, good potential backup value, but have some potential standalone value too, depending on how the offense goes, I think is going to be important. So uh, maybe Chase Edmonds is a name we need to keep in our back pocket and talk about a little bit more as we get closer to the start of the season. Let's dive into our running back preview. We got plenty to talk about with all these guys. So let's just start at the basics here, Mike. Do you have a particular strategy when it comes to drafting running backs? Yeah, in fact, my whole fantasy strategy as a whole is built around running backs. Like, I am trying to get <laughs> as many running backs in the early rounds as possible because in round one, I mean, it's becoming pretty common to see like 10, 11 of the first 12 picks be running backs. So I think if you don't take one in round one, you're going to miss out on that high-end elite talent. And then I think after that, in rounds two and three, if you're not taking at least one shot there in a running back, you're missing out on one of those backs that – has round one type potential and for some reason is falling a little bit. But to me, you need to get the running backs early because I think from rounds four on, the receivers are head and shoulders better than all the running backs by round. Like there's so many receivers that I think have wide receiver one potential and you can get them in rounds four, five, six, but running back at that point really dries up. So my approach is to get them early and then load up on other positions. And then, you know, when we get back into the double digit rounds, I'll take some more flyers on guys that I like. Yeah, I, I don't know how often I've gone necessarily running back, running back to start, but I do feel like in the first two rounds, I've got to get at least one. Uh, in those times where I have, have skipped getting a running back in the first couple rounds, I just, it, it goes so quickly. And you, you find the cupboard is really bare, and maybe you do love your wide receivers or you do love your tight end, but that running back position makes you a little bit nervous. So I, I will ask the question, though. There are still people that are, are going with the zero RB philosophy. And I know for those who maybe aren't familiar, it is the idea that you wait on getting a running back, that you go and you load up on other positions in the first you know, three, four, maybe even five rounds, and then start looking to get your running back there. 
Uh, I feel like it's a hard thing to do this year. I know there are people that are still sort of holding to that idea. If you decided to go that route, Mike, are there guys that you would suggest people target in kind of the middle rounds? Yeah, there are. There, there's the guys like the Chase Edmonds. Uh, I think Zach Moss is a perfect fit for that because he is competing with Devin Singletary for the starting job. I, to me, it, you got to try to find the backups. Kareem Hunt is a great example. Tony Pollard, Latavius Murray. Try to find the backups like we were talking about earlier, Marcus, that do have standalone value. But if anything at all happens to the starter or if they can continue to eat into that workload, they, their potential is you know, top 20, even maybe top 10 running backs. Those are the, the backs that I think you have to target if you're going zero RB. If you're targeting more of those safe floor backs, I don't think they're, you're really going to benefit because those guys' ceilings not nearly as high. So you're going to be looking for the off the waiver wire to try to find a starter. To me, I think if you're going zero RB, and I've done it in a draft this year, Marcus, and I really did not like it. Uh, but I think if it's <laughs> for you and it's the approach you want to take, you need to go with those guys who have standalone value. But the upside is even higher if anything happens to the starter. Yeah, I think more than anything, I've probably been a modified zero RB uh, because, like I said, I, I feel just kind of icky if I don't have at least one guy I can count on that I feel like I can count on uh, after the first rounds of my draft. I will say that when I've gone the modified route, I, I've liked, you know, say a guy like Jordan Howard in the middle rounds, who I, I think is still a good running back. Um, I look at David Montgomery. I haven't been able to pull the trigger on drafting David Montgomery. And I think maybe it's because he burned me last year. And so I'm still a little bit bitter. Like, I'm, I'm willing to admit that I'm in my feelings uh, about David Montgomery. <laughs> I just don't like that he's not going to catch passes. Like, right. It, it caps his upside so much, I think, because Tariq Cohen is so good at that. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, all right, let's start at the top, though. The, the elite guys. At this point, Christian McCaffrey is pretty much the consensus number one pick. I feel like Saquon has pretty much cemented that number two spot. So who is your third running back? Is it, I mean, there are options there. There's Kamara, there's, there's Zeke Elliott. I mean, I guess if you want to think outside the box, I guess maybe Dalvin Cook. Who is your running back three right now? For me, it is Alvin Kamara, and he is... He's a running back that last year was in the conversation with Saquon and Christian McCaffrey to be the number one overall back. And then last year, I know he didn't live up to those expectations. He still was a top 10 fantasy running back, but his ankle and, and his knee, he said he was not playing anywhere close to 100% from really week three on. And in fact, this is a guy who his first couple of years in the, the first two years in the league was scoring 14 touchdowns or more like it was nothing. And then last year, he scored two touchdowns in week three and didn't score again until week 16. It just wasn't the, who uh, Alvin Kamara is. And despite being banged up and not being fully healthy, he still had 81 catches for a third straight year, which is oddly <laughs> impressive. But him and Christian McCaffrey are like the only backs who could say they've done that in that span. And then I think there's going to be positive touchdown regression for him. Uh, and with Ezekiel Elliott... He wasn't the same guy last year. Like, he was still awesome and a top-five fantasy running back and super safe. But that ceiling wasn't quite what it once was from previous years. He had a career low in fantasy points per game, in rushing yards per game, in scrimmage yards per game. He did not finish a single week as the top-scoring running back last year. So, And then I, I wouldn't be surprised this year if with the new coach in place and, and all those great pass catchers around him, if they become a little bit more of a – pass happy offense because under with Dak they really have still continued to be a run first team but we've started to see that change the last two seasons so for me I think you're splitting hairs here when you're debating between these two because I think they whoever goes three the other one should go four but for me I would take Alvin Kamara at three 
Yeah, no, I've, I've been putting Kamara solidly at three for most of this draft season. And you talk about the, the touchdown regression. I mean, obviously, after the huge numbers, his first two years, I think it was what, 31 total touchdowns in his first two seasons. Um, you know, I guess some regression was to be expected. We didn't expect it to drop off as much as it did. Uh, but the thing I kept coming back to with Kamara is that a lot of his efficiency metrics were very similar to what we saw the first couple of years. And then you throw in the fact, as you mentioned, that he wasn't 100% healthy. I think that kind of makes you feel a little bit better about taking him in that third slot this year and knowing he can get back to being the Camara that we saw uh, his first couple of years in New Orleans. All right, um, choose your fighter. Dalvin Cook or Derrick Henry? Uh, which one would you go with? I'm going to go with Dalvin Cook. Uh, I've never been a huge Derrick Henry supporter, and it's just because the lack of usage in the passing game. And I wish the Titans would use him more because the little bits that they have, he's looked all right in it. And, I mean, why would you not try everything in your power to get that guy the ball as much as you possibly can? But the low reception total, it just puts a little bit of a cap on his upside. And he had a perfect season last year. Like, he was the only back to have less than 30 uh, uh, targets and put up the the numbers that he did and finish as a top five fantasy back in recent history. So to me, Dalvin Cook, I also think we sleep on Dalvin Cook a little bit. Like this guy, he was nine fantasy points behind McCaffrey on a per game basis, but there was no one even closer to Dalvin Cook uh, than to McCaffrey than Dalvin Cook. He was the RB2 in points per game, and he was looking like a legitimate league winner until he got hurt down the stretch. I understand that that is his one big concern is can he stay healthy, but if he is on the field and healthy, I worry about him week to week a lot less than Derrick Henry because with Henry, I fear if the Titans fall behind, are they going to pull him off the field? Yeah, my I know at the end of last season, just to sort of stir up conversation, you know, we always get to December, January, and we start talking early about who should be the number one overall pick next season. And obviously the easy answer back then was Christian McCaffrey. As a discussion point, I threw in Dalvin Cook just because I felt like I, I wanted to sort of highlight what he had accomplished. Obviously, we're here in August, and, and that hasn't really come to fruition, and that's fine. I don't have a problem with that. But I do think it was worthy of at least talking about because he was a guy who was uber productive. He sort of finally broke out in the way we expected last year. The thing about Derrick Henry that sort of worries me, too, on top of him not catching passes I mean, we talk about touchdown regression, right? And we all look at Aaron Jones and we're like, there's no way he's going to score 19 touchdowns again. I mean, maybe 15, 16 touchdowns is doable again for Derrick Henry. But as you mentioned, with him not catching the football, that really does put a burden on him to be a really top-level running back. I mean, he's got to rush the ball super effectively to come back to that number again and to produce that way. And so, uh, you know, look, I, I don't know how much you believe in Ryan Tannehill necessarily, Mike, if you believe in he and A.J. Brown and maybe Jonu Smith to really pick things up and be uh, an even more contributing part of this offense. But I do worry that that Derrick Henry just isn't going to hit that touchdown number again. And I think that that, to me, makes it scary for me to take him in that sixth or seventh slot. I don't know if you feel that way. Yeah, I, I do not really leave a lot of drafts with Derrick Henry. And it's kind of why I hate the, like, the middle portion of the first round because you have to choose between like Derrick Henry or, or Joe Mixon maybe and, and unless you want to pull up like a Drake or a Sanders, Eckler, those guys. So I don't like the middle rounds. And, and as for Tannehill, like, I do think he is a big improvement over Mariota. And I think that the Titans offense will be at least somewhat close to what they were last year. But they were so efficient – 
especially on those deep plays and Derrick Henry breaking those home runs. Like, I think the efficiency is definitely going to come down a bit, which may lead to more volume, but they were hitting those big plays. It's such a successful clip last year that I just don't think they can do that again. Yeah. Uh, one last note about Derrick Henry before we hit the break. Uh, yeah, He won the rushing title last year. Also keep in mind, he had a 200-yard game in Week 17, which did absolutely nothing for you. So uh, that's just one thing to remember if you were thinking about targeting Derrick Henry in the first round. Rolling along on the running back preview here on the NFL Fantasy Football Show. Let's talk about some of these mid-tier guys. And there were a couple that I saw as I was going through ADP lists that jumped out at me. If you had to choose between Todd Gurley or Leonard Fournette, uh, which one of those guys are you more comfortable with? Uh, is neither an answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, it would be Leonard Fournette of the two, but these are two guys that both worry me. Uh, the only reason I would go with Fournette is because I have no health concerns about him, and that sounds kind of weird to say about Fournette because the first two seasons of his career, that's all we worried about was his foot. My concerns with Fournette is more it seems like his own team doesn't really want him there. Uh, and then there's Chris Thompson, who Jay Gruden loves uh, and has really featured in his offenses the last six seasons. And then there's also LaVisca Chenault, who I think can get some work uh, as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And so much of what made Leonard Fournette great last year was his ability to catch passes, the 100 targets, 76 catches. And I figured out that for every 10 targets you take away from him to mitigate that, he would need to score two touchdowns on average. Uh, so we were already hoping for some touchdown regression. I'm hoping that if you invest in him as a RB2, you're kind of hoping that maybe he still sees around 60 targets and can get you in the range of like eight or nine uh, touchdowns because then he would live up to the expectation. My concern with Todd Gurley is the complete opposite. Like arthritis in the knee just simply does not go away. And last year, Todd Gurley did not look like himself. He looked like he was missing a lot of that elusiveness that he had early in his career. He became more of a north-south runner and I know it's easy to get excited. Oh, he's there with the Falcons now. And But last year, what made Devonta Freeman so great was his ability to catch passes. And that was where Todd Gurley was completely basically removed from the Rams offense as the season went on last year. So if that efficiency in the pass game continues to go down, I think the floor for Todd Gurley is he completely bottoms out for you this year because uh, it, me and Matt Frederick, Marcus, you know, the other researcher extraordinaire here, we went back and found all the running backs because Todd Gurley – from 2018 to 2019, his fantasy points per game decreased by 12 per game from 26 to 14. And when me and Matt went back and looked throughout the years since 2000, no player has had a decrease in their fantasy points per game that wide and ever averaged 15 fantasy points per game again. And then only a handful of them averaged double-digit fantasy points per game again. So to me, I, I understand the upside with Todd Gurley, but I think the risk is way heavier. And there's a chance that you legitimately can't use him in fantasy at some point this season. Yeah, I, I remember sort of saying early this offseason that my hope was that going to Atlanta increases his value in the passing game because the Rams just sort of ignored him mostly in that facet last year. And Dave Richard uh, from CBS Sports does a great job, came on this podcast as we were doing our, our divisional previews. And he pointed out, which I did not know, Todd Gurley among running backs was dead last when it came to yards per route run. Um, which wow. is a, a scary, scary thing to think about, uh, even with a team that potentially is going to have more passing volume that potentially could get him more targets. Uh, then I actually saw a story that I, uh, 
they were mentioning that Edo Smith looks good on his cuts and his ability to change directions. I don't know if that was a subtweet of Todd Gurley or if they were just sort of pumping up Edo Smith, but it is concerning. I will say I agree with you about Fournette as well, though. I have a hard time getting excited about him when the Jaguars don't seem to want him around. And for that reason, I have been drafting LaVisca Chenault in a whole bunch of places uh, just late in drafts. You know, there's just kind of those upside uh, end of the draft home run swings and maybe it turns into something. Maybe it doesn't. And if it doesn't, uh, I haven't really I haven't really spent a whole lot in draft capital. So I'm not so worried. Do you have a good handle on the Denver Broncos backfield this year? Uh, I That's one of the backfields that I, out of the murkier ones, I think it's a little bit easier to figure out. Like, mm-hmm. I'm of the mindset that they had Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, two pretty good running backs in my opinion, but they still went out and paid Melvin Gordon. So I think Melvin Gordon mm-hmm. is going to be the lead back there. Uh, I think that you could trust him as an RB2. Uh, I think... Philip Lindsay will see his role, but I do think Philip Lindsay is getting a little bit, his role is getting a little bit hyped up more than I expect it to be. Like a lot of people are expecting him to still see 150 plus touches just because Royce Freeman was so involved last year as the backup running back. I'm not as convinced as that because I think Melvin Gordon is better than Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman and they paid him. So I think he is going to see a good amount of work there, unless, of course, he stumbles out the gate and, and struggles with his efficiency, which is something that we have seen out of Melvin Gordon in the past. So if I'm investing in any of the backs here, it's, it's Melvin Gordon. Uh, but this is a backfield that I do not feel completely confident on, and I'm okay passing on it as a whole. Yeah, I have mostly avoided it. Um, I think there may be one or two places where I, I might have drafted Melvin Gordon, but my my fear with it has been that this turns into more of a hot hand sort of committee, that Melvin Gordon will be named the starter. He'll be the guy on the field first. But we could see weeks where Philip Lindsay ends up just having a better day and he ends up the guy who gets most of the touches. And then he's the guy who ends up on the field and you're sitting there fuming because Melvin Gordon is standing on the sideline with his helmet in his hand. That's the one thing that I don't know that we can accurately predict or count on on a week to week basis. I do think there's still some role for Philip Lindsay. I don't think you can go and, and have thousand yard back to back seasons or whatever and and just completely fade away in this offense. Uh, but you know, I think that the guy who really is hurt is the most is, is Royce Freeman. I think we can probably say goodbye to him with any sort of real fantasy relevance uh, in the Denver backfield. But I'm, I'm sort of with you. This is one of those backfields that I've just kind of shied away from because I have no real idea of what the division of labor is, is going to be. Um, shift our focus to the rookies a little bit because, of course, we all love shiny new things in fantasy football. Uh, you can't talk about rookie running backs this year without talking about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. What is the earliest you would draft CEH? Uh, I have taken him fifth overall in some drafts. So mm-hmm. it's right after the big four running backs in Sa- in Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara, and Ezekiel Elliott. I think after that, uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire deserves to be in the picture because I know last year the Chiefs running backs let us down, but also last season Patrick Mahomes missed time, Damian Williams missed a bunch of time, and then when Damian went down – they were, they were throwing out a, a skeleton of LaShawn McCoy and Daryl Williams and <laughs> everyone's favorite, Darwin Thompson. Like, those guys are – they can't hold a candle, in my opinion, to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire can have a rookie season much like Kareem Hunt, which is 
Remember, he was competing with Spencer Ware there, and then Spencer mm-hmm. Ware went down right before yeah. the season. And Kareem Hunt was a league winner, finished as a top five uh, running back, led the league in rushing that year. So I think the sky is the limit for Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. And for me, it's always a decision between him and Dalvin Cook if I'm anywhere in the five or six range. See, and I think this sort of goes back to your earlier point about being in the middle of the the round when you're drafting there, because it does leave you with a lot of decisions that you may not be all that thrilled about. I think five has sort of been the ceiling I've seen for Edward Teller this year. I I think I was in a draft where somebody took him one overall and everybody sort of like, like, okay, that seems a little much, (laughs) even for people who love love Edward Teller. Um, but I, I, I felt like, you know, I want to be in maybe those top three picks. I want to be in maybe those last three picks. Uh, somewhere in the middle just feels like death because you're right. You're stuck. You're looking at CEH. Even if you love him, uh, you know, he's there. Uh, you've got Dalvin Cook. You've got Derrick Henry. Uh, I, have, I, I have preferred to have other people take that decision for me. And if I end up looking silly because I missed out on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, so be it. I'll live to fight another day. Um, in Indianapolis, will Jonathan Taylor make Marlon Mack obsolete? I think so. I, I think the writing is on the wall. And, and Marlon Mack, I don't want to take away from what he's done the last couple of years, but he hasn't ever, I don't think, really shown us that he could be a three-down back. He He's not really used much in the passing game there. And he's been really inconsistent on a week-to-week basis. Like, And I think it's because he's not – his limited involvement in the passing game, he, he is game script dependent. When the Colts are in a close game or playing with the lead, they can ride on him a little bit more. But I think Jonathan Taylor, they went out uh, in a year that I think they are clearly going all in, giving Phillip Rivers at his age all that money. They spent a second round draft pick and traded up, in fact, to get Jonathan Taylor. And he was someone who was most people's number one running back coming into the NFL draft. So you have the I, I, what I think is the best runner from this draft class running behind that that Colts O-line. I think he is quickly going to be able to, to show people that he is better than Marlon Mack. And, and I know Frank Reich is saying they're going to r- ride the hot hand and people changed Jonathan Taylor's nickname on his page to Hot Hand, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> but I, I think he is going to be able to kind of throw Marlon Mack aside. And, and I do think, too, that Jonathan Taylor will catch – more passes than we're giving him credit for because Philip Rivers is captain checkdown. So just being out there on the field with Philip Rivers so much, I think he's going to throw the ball to, to Taylor. And just real quick on that, like everyone is saying, oh, that's something he didn't do in college. Well, he went to Wisconsin and Melvin Gordon came out of Wisconsin yeah. with less than 30 career receptions and then had multiple 50 catch seasons with Philip Rivers. So I'm not completely worried about his passing game usage either. I will say that because a guy doesn't do it in college doesn't mean that they can't do it in college. I think it's always fair to sort of look at the context of the offense and and how that sort of works. Uh, You sort of hurt my heart there with this because I last year was a big Marlon Mack proponent. And I thought he had a good year, all things considered, with what went on in that Colts offense. And for a long time, I've really been holding on. I really am trying to hold on to this belief that Mack still has some kind of role in the Colts offense this year. But every time I see a tweet coming out of Indianapolis about like how Jonathan Taylor is making people look silly or he's like trucking this guy or running around that guy, it gets harder. It, it, it is fading. My hope is fading like Marty McFly's siblings in that photo as he's uh, you know, traveling back to, to 1955. Last bit of rookie conversation here. Do you believe, do you have any idea of what's going to happen with DeAndre Swift in Detroit this year? 
Swift is the back that I prefer out of the two Lions backs. And, and I'm of the mindset that they went out and drafted him because Kerryon Johnson, while he's looked really good when he's on the field, he simply just hasn't been able to stay on the field. And my thinking is DeAndre Swift has shown us throughout college that he is a workhorse. We know he's a good pass catching back. I think that he can be the the 1A here while Carryon Johnson will still have a role. I don't think he is going to go away by any stretch, but I think he can thrive in that complementary role, maybe see 8, 10, 12 touches per game, something like that, while DeAndre Swift does a little bit more of the heavy lifting. I think that they both can be fantasy relevant, but DeAndre Swift is the back that uh, I prefer here, and you could still get him as a low-end RB2, sometimes even as an RB3. I think at that point, he's worth taking a shot on all his upside. Yeah, look, I, again, the way I felt about Marlon Mack last year, it's also the way I felt about Carrion Johnson. I don't know that I'm quite as married to the idea of Johnson kind of really having a, a decent role in Detroit. I do think this is one that may go over to Swift. The only thing that has given me pause is the fact that I've read quotes where even DeAndre Swift has said he's not sure what his role is going to be. But if I were to take a swing at one of the Lions running backs, it would probably be that one. Uh, I do think that that there's a reason the Lions went and got Swift. I think they are just sort of not that they dislike carry on Johnson, but I think they're sort of tired of waiting for him to kind of come around. So that that would be the, the logic there for me. But it's another backfield that I've not been super excited about dipping a toe into. And so I think for the most part, I've, I've kind of avoided that one. It's time for High Upside presented by Caesars Rewards. We are looking at running backs, obviously, on the show today. And I want to know from you, if you have three guys, Mike Florio, that you think could outperform their ADP at the running back position. Yeah, I do. And the first is, I know we touched on him a little bit last segment, but Jonathan Taylor, I, I really like him. And uh, nothing against Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack was fine for the years that they were asking him to be their lead running back. But when you see Jonathan Taylor, someone with that size and speed combo, just he he's just one of those freak athletes that when you put the ball in his hand, he can do really dangerous things. So I, I like Jonathan Taylor, especially running behind that Colts O-line and having a quarterback like Phillip Rivers who likes to throw to the running back so much. I do think he can legitimately finish as an RB1 this year. And I, what I think more so is he can be this year's version of Miles Sanders. And by that, I mean he might split the, the work early on. But, you know, come the middle of the season, I think he'll run away with that job. And then come the end of the season in the fantasy playoffs, he is an RB1 and a potential league winner. Uh, another running back that I like a lot, Marcus, and, and I think he can easily outlive his ADP, is Kareem Hunt. And, and I think that because Hunt last year in just eight games had – more receptions and receiving yards than Nick Chubb did and almost as many targets as Nick Chubb did in 16 games. Hunt almost matched it in eight. Uh, plus, everyone is kind of tied to the idea that Kevin Stefanski loves, you know, a one running back system because that's what he did last year with the Vikings. But I am not as convinced because I think that was more he had Dalvin Cook and an unproven rookie as the backup, whereas here he has Nick Chubb, who almost led the league in rushing last year, and a former rushing title winner in Kareem Hunt. Uh, and my thing is, I think Kareem Hunt has flex or RB2 value each week. But if anything happens to Nick Chubb, if he goes down or, or and like you said earlier, Marcus, 2020, who knows? Uh, if anything happens to Nick Chubb, I think Kareem Hunt has top 10, maybe even top five upside. Yeah, and then, I, oh, I one, love yeah, one more. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. Uh, one last one I like a lot is just Zach Moss because – 
I, I think we're already hearing that he is competing with Devin Singletary for the, the early down work. And, and while Singletary is always going to have his role, they're, they're talking up Moss a lot like Frank Gore and being that goal line back. Uh, and we saw last year they pulled off Devin Singletary whenever they got near the goal line and they brought in Frank Gore. And then we're also hearing a lot of hype from Zach Moss out of Bill's camp about his work as a receiver. And we saw last a uh, couple days ago a video of him catching a pass down the field over the shoulder from Josh Allen. And I don't want to get too excited about practice videos, but <laughs> anytime I'm seeing my power back catch a pass down the field over his shoulder, I'm pretty excited about that. So I think he can potentially eat into way more work from Devin Singletary than than we're giving him credit or than his ADP is giving him credit. So I think that he can definitely outlive that cost. I'm trying to figure out why it is the Bills just don't seem to love Devin Singletary. Uh, I think he's incredibly talented, but for whatever reason, they keep putting obstacles to being great in his way. I don't know if you have any insight into that. I, I, I know he's a little bit smaller than they like than Frank Gore and, and Zach Moss. Maybe that's the only thing I could think of because – they hyped him up like crazy last year after drafting him, and then we're just like, we're not going to give him any touchdowns, and we're going to draft another third down back, a third round running back. And Devin Singletary, you'll get yours, but we really like this other guy too. I, I don't get it. Uh, I will give you three quick names, too, that I think could outperform their ADP. I'll say Josh Jacobs, and I know he's going high. I don't think he catches 60 passes, but if he catches more than the 20 he did last year, I think that improves his standing. James Conner, it's about him staying healthy, but Ben Roethlisberger is the back. The band is back together, so I think that helps the Steelers' offense as a whole. And the last one is Mark Ingram, who I think just continually gets disrespected. I don't really understand it. I'm not so concerned about J.K. Dobbins. I think Dobbins' time is maybe 2021 and beyond. I think there's still a role for Mark Ingram, and especially if they throw the ball more, potentially that means more targets for Mark Ingram in that Ravens offense. There you go. That was High Upside presented by Caesars Rewards. Draft a team with NFL Fantasy this season, and you could win a trip to take your league to Caesars Palace Las Vegas for the Fantasy Playoffs. Download the NFL Fantasy app, draft a team, and select the trip to Caesars Palace from among the three grand prizes you can win. Closing out the show with a little bit of higher or lower. I mean, you know how this works. I give you a player. I give you a statistic. You tell me whether or not you think that number is going to be higher or lower at the end of the season. So we will start Alvin Kamara, 81 receptions, higher or lower. I'm going to go higher. He's hit this mark each year he's been in the NFL, but last year he did so not even being at full health, and we know that his lower body wasn't really healthy. But he still did post a career-high catch rate, so I think he can even top that this year. I'm going to go higher. Uh, what's more impressive, Alvin Kamara's three years of 81 receptions or Chris Davis hitting 247 for, like, four years in a row? <laughs> I think 247 just because, like, you could manufacture a couple catches down the stretch maybe to make sure to push that number to 81. Just having the average the same year every year is just <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Mind-boggling. Uh, all right, uh, Derrick Henry, 1,300 rushing yards, higher or lower? I'm, this one was really hard. I'm going to go lower. I, he had over 1,500 last year, but prior to that, he had never had even 1,100 in any season. And like we were saying, being fearful of, you know, if he gets taken off the field when they're trailing because maybe they want to bring in a pass catching back or something. So I'm going to go lower here, but a little bit hesitant about that. All right. Uh, I talked about Josh Jacobs in the last segment getting over uh, 20 receptions this year. So I'm going to say 30 receptions for Josh Jacobs. Will you go higher or lower than that? I will go higher, but this is another one that I'm not that confident in. He didn't even have 30 targets last year. And 
I know Jalen Richard for fantasy purposes isn't really that great, and Lynn Bowden is still an unknown. But Jalen Richard is their pass catching specialist. There, they paid him money. He had uh, over eighty targets a couple of years ago, and then Lynn Bowden they keep talking up as a pass catching back. So uh, I think that there's definitely reasons to be concerned if Josh Jacobs can reach that number this year. I, I sort of was, you know, I was excited when he said he wanted to catch 60 passes. And then I went and looked and like, there was no Raiders wide receiver that had 60 catches. Uh, Darren Waller had 90 as a tight end. And then Hunter Renfro was second on the team with 49. So uh, 60 seems a little bit ambitious for Josh Jacobs. <laughs> um, Aaron Jones, we're all expecting huge regression from the 19 touchdowns last year. So I'll say nine total touchdowns for, uh, for Aaron Jones, higher or lower. I think this was a great number you set because nine is about what I am expecting out of him. But if I have to go higher or lower, I think I'll go lower just because, first of all, last year, like you said, the 19 touchdowns, over 30% of his fantasy points came off of touchdowns. We were all expecting natural regression there. But then they go out and they get their new version of Derrick Henry. That's what they keep comparing A.J. Dillon to. And I would not be surprised if they try to save the smaller framed Aaron Jones and start using A.J. Dillon this year as a red zone specialist. And then he gets really set free the year after if Aaron Jones walks. But I think that there is a very good possibility that Dillon is just vulturing Aaron Jones and making it really frustrating to have him in fantasy. Yeah, fantasy Twitter sort of went berserk over the weekend when we saw those pictures and it looked like A.J. Dillon had stolen his legs from an elephant. Um, so that, <laughs> I think that, that has been a lot for his draft stock, I think, in the last few days. Uh, the Rams, we talk about these muddy backfields. The Rams certainly have one of them. Three running backs with 50 or more total touches in that Rams backfield, higher or lower? This is definitely possible, and I think I'm optimistically going to say lower, but <laughs> it's very possible that we see three backs here have 50 touches if, if Akers or Henderson can't step up. But I am an Akers believer. I, I think that he's shown us at college he could play behind a poor O-line. I think that – and the comments from Sean McVay uh, these last week or so, like he talks up Malcolm Brown and Daryl Henderson because he's a very optimistic head coach. But when he talks about uh, – when he talks about Cam Akers, it's just different, his energy and and how he just says there's nothing he can't do on the football field. So I think they want Akers to be their lead back. And if things go right for them, he will be. And then this will be lower. If things go wrong for them in Akers, then this very much so can be higher. All right. Uh, you are a Mets fan, which means your life is sort of perpetual misery. Uh, I am a Dodgers fan, which at least the last few years has been great up until October so let's go on something we can all agree on here. Jose Altuve, a 200 batting average, higher or lower? I'm going to say higher just because I do think Altuve is good enough that like he'll put together a hot streak. Maybe he'll have a hot two weeks or something like that where he can get his average higher enough. But I think I speak for baseball fans everywhere where I'm kind of hoping it's lower because that would just be the ultimate karma. If you go from winning a World Series and an MVP, and then it comes out that you were you knew the pitches and you hit below 200, you have nothing that you could say to defend yourself then. Oral Hershiser was a sage when he uh, came up with the guessing is harder than knowing line earlier this year. Uh, <laughs> that one will go down in history. Uh, all right, last one for you before we wrap this one up. Number of fantasy football leagues you're going to be in this season. I put it at five. Is it going to be higher or lower? It's it's going to be higher. Like I, if you count best ball drafts, it's already way higher than that. But <laughs> it's going to be higher. I, every year I say I want to cut down and then every year I end up being in either just as many or even more. 
yeah, I, I feel that struggle. I'm always like trying to trying to pare down and then I get an invitation for this one or that one. And I end up uh, right about the same number every year. So it just ends up being sort of a rotating door. So uh, I completely <laughs> understand that. Uh, Mike Florio, as always, great stuff. Welcome back again. And I uh, look forward to having you on the show more regularly once we get to the regular season. I'm super pumped to be on the show. And thank you again for having me. As is it. We are done. We appreciate you hanging out with the NFL Fantasy Football Show presented by Caesars Rewards. You know the drill. Tell two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, safe way to double your money is to fold it over, put it in your pockets. That's it. We will see you on next week. Tuesday. That's the day. See you then. You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you.